invite you to turn back to Exodus chapter 12. We have just entitled the message this morning, The Passover Lamb. We say right at the outset that we're not going to be able to deal with all these verses that we have read this morning, and there will be the follow-up to it, but we certainly want to make a start. Let's just unite our hearts together in a word of prayer as we come to the preaching of God's precious word this morning. Father in heaven, we do thank thee again for thy presence that makes the feast. We praise the Lord that we can sing about the blood this morning. And we can say it is Jesus' precious blood. Lord, we would ask that thou would cover us in neath the blood. Thank the Lord that the devil is no answer for the blood of the Lamb. Lord, we pray against the strong man, even as he would seek to come and snatch away the good seed of the word, as he would seek, Lord, to steal away our thoughts unto other things. Lord, we pray that thou would Bind the strong man today. Cause thy word to have an entrance into our hearts. Give us, Lord, concentration. Give us understanding. Teach us, Lord, as we come into this passage by thy spirit. To that end, I pray, thou would fill us with thy spirit and with power. Give me words that must and shall prevail. Give those prevailing words we ask. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. During the American Civil War, a man was visiting a graveyard in the state of Georgia and he happened to notice a young man who was decorating, freshly decorating a a new grave. He made inquiries about that and it was told him that he had an old mother at home and three of his brothers, three of her sons had gone to the war. When the time of signing on came, he also was to sign up. But there was one who stepped forward, a young fellow who stepped forward and offered to go instead of this young man so that he might be able to stay at home and look after his aged mother. Not long after the news came that that young fellow was killed in battle. And later as this visiting man to this graveyard uh, went by that fresh grave, he noted a handmade cross. And he noted the words that that young man had carved out upon it. It simply read, He died for me. And men and women were coming to what must be and is considered to be a very pivotal chapter. Some consider it to be the center of Exodus, the book of Exodus. Some will even consider it to be the very center of the Old Testament scriptures, the very heart. It gives us a detailed explanation of the first feast in Israel's calendar. It was the Passover. Just consider the opening words and what the Lord said even to Moses, verse 2. This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. We are about to consider what in essence is the tenth, yes, and the last plague that God would send upon the land of Egypt. It's so important that in actual fact it was because of this that Israel's calendar was to be changed. 
From this point on, Israel was to start their new year at the time when their deliverance was to occur. From this point, they would date their history and they would date their time in reference to the exodus from the land of Egypt. And you know, there's a lovely thought when it comes to the child of God. For that which this illustrates and pictures for us is the gospel and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so it is fitting that their deliverance for Israel should be the beginning of a new year. That's why you'll find the Jewish New Year. It's not January. It's more or less into uh, the month of April. The Passover time. To be born physically is when we begin to number the days of our life on this earth. To be born again spiritually is to have a new beginning. And this beginning, this begins one's life, spiritual life, which will traverse both this time on earth as well as for all eternity in heaven. It is the greatest beginning of all. For life doesn't really begin until we're born again, until we're saved, until we're in that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Israel, we're going to have a new start. The divine judgment of God was about to fall upon all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. That included the Israelites as well as the Egyptians. But then you see we've read in chapter 11 verse 7 of the difference that the Lord was to put between the Egyptians and Israel. In respect of the Egyptians and the Israelites, they were entirely the same. They were both sinners in God's sight. They both deserved the wrath of God. Israel had turned away from the Lord as well. But God had purposed to redeem Israel out of Egypt, and he would only do so on a righteous basis. The holiness of God cannot ignore sin. Oh man, today can sweep sin under the carpet. But the holiness of God can't do that. A just God can by no means clear the guilty. Justice must be satisfied. Sin must be paid for. But the difference was that grace abounded by the means of a substitute. The difference between them, you see, wasn't an immoral one. It was the blood of the Paschal Lamb. And this picture is a type of Christ, or this passage is a type of Christ, whom Paul, of course, describes to the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians 5 and 7, for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. He died for me. And so it is to the Passover lamb that I want us to draw your attention this morning. Won't you notice the provision of the lamb? The instruction that Moses was to be receiving and was to give to the nation of Israel concerned this night of the Passover. And it concerned what Israel had to do to prevent their firstborn from the death angel. And when you look at the words of verse 3 and 4, you realize the provision of the Lamb was by an appointment. And that appointment was divine in its origin. Because the Lord says to Moses, verse 3, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month shall they take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. 
This wasn't something that man could have originated. This wasn't something that man could have thought up or could have done. It was a message from God himself. And from the message, it is understood that the Lamb was the only means of escape. The Lamb was the only means of deliverance. You see, there are not a number of ways that God speaks of here for the children of Israel to escape the death angel, the death angel of us passing through, but there was only one way, there was only one means. And if Moses had have told Israel that there were other ways by which they could be saved, then he would have led countless multitudes to divine judgment unprepared, just the same way that false teachers do these days in bringing another gospel, which is not the gospel that is found in the scriptures of Holy Writ. Remember what the apostle taught. Acts 4.12 Neither is there salvation in any other for there's none other under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. There's only one way, only one means of deliverance. That is the Lamb. You see, what God was to appoint is what is announced throughout the scriptures of truth. You just uh, consider an overview. The Lamb is a means that God has appointed to protect men from the judgment of a righteous, sin-hitting God. Think of Abraham who was to take his only son Isaac and he was to offer him as a sacrifice unto God in a place that God would show him. And when they got there, Isaac asked the question, Behold a fire in the wood, but where is the Lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham was to give the answer in reply, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And Isaac was preserved from death by the ram that was caught by the thicket, in the thicket by its horns. That ram was offered in the stead of Isaac. And note that it didn't just say that God would provide a lamb. It says that God would provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Meaning the lamb was provided to glorify God's character. To satisfy his justice. To magnify his holiness. And in this first mention of the lamb, there's a beautiful foreshadowing of Calvary where God provided a lamb. He provided himself a lamb because that sacrifice is first and foremost vertical. It is Godward. It had to satisfy divine justice. It had to procure peace. It had to magnify his holiness. And then it is also on the horizontal because there at Calvary Christ purchased redemption for all who will trust in his atoning death. The provision of the Lamb is noted in the great chapter of Isaiah 53. Again bringing us to Calvary and the Lamb brought as a Lamb to the slaughter. Come into the New Testament. Hear what John the Baptist said on the banks of the river Jordan he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which beareth away the sin of the world. Hear what Peter speaks about in 1 Peter 1. He speaks about the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And into the last book on the revelation of Jesus Christ, again there's noted the preciousness and the provision of the lamb. It begins with the lamb that was slain. It closes with the lamb on the throne. And 28 times in between, the lamb is mentioned. 
So from Genesis to Revelation, the message is what Moses and the children of Israel were to hear. It's God's appointed lamb. And the announcement to provide salvation from sin for his people. And you'll see the lamb provided was available. Because you'll notice the words of verse 3 again. In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers. The requirement of the lamb applied to all households. If there was no lamb for the household, then the firstborn in that house would die. And so it is in the gospel. The lamb is provided. It has an application for every man because there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And in verse 4, You'll see that if the household was too small for the lamb to be eaten, then it's to be shared with the neighbors. Men and women, that surely underlines to us that there was no excuse. The lamb was available to everyone. All were provided for in the instruction and the message that God gave to Moses. And men and women, the lamb that God provided for our salvation, even the person of his own dear son, he's freely offered and he's freely presented and available in the gospel. He is not one that is afar off. He is one that is nigh at hand. And we would say in the words of the prophet Isaiah, and Isaiah 55 and 1, O every one that thirsteth, come to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Ye come buy wine and milk without money and without price. It's like the message that goes out in the marketplace. Ho, everyone that thirsteth. Here's the message. And it's freely available. And it's freely offered. Christ is freely offered to you in the gospel. But I wonder what have you done with the message? Have you heeded the word of God to your soul? All the families in Israel needed the Lamb, and so do you, for your soul's salvation from the eternal judgments of a holy God against sin. And thank God there are many in our congregation this morning, and they can say, He's our Lamb. He's my Lamb. Look at this. Verse 3. You shall take to them every man a Lamb. Verse 4, how shall be too little for the lamb? Verse 5, is your lamb. That's personal. Is he your lamb this morning? The provision of the lamb. Notice also the particulars of the lamb. Because we're given an insight here into the lamb that was to be taken and offered for the household. It wasn't just any lamb. There are many particulars that are given by way of detail for us to consider. I want you to understand that the lamb had to be separated. You see, in the words of verse 6, it speaks of the day. In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb. Now look at verse 6. Ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month. The lamb had to be separated. And during that intervening days, those intervening days, that lamb would be inspected before it would be sacrificed. And in those details, do we not see again a type of Christ? 
For he was appointed as God's sacrificial lamb. He was separated as such from before the foundation of this world. But he wasn't offered until that appointed time, until that appointed hour. The hour had come, John 13, the day of his crucifixion. And so I trust men and women, young people, that you start and begin to understand just how important this chapter of God's Word is. For it shows us the very heart of God's redemptive work. It reveals to us the offering of Christ, the Lamb of God, as our substitute. I want you to see the sinless nature of the lamb. Verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish. That lamb that was chosen had to be without blemish. It could not have any physical flaw in it for it to be acceptable. It couldn't be sick nor torn. Or else it would not protect the Israelite home from that final plague. And in this we see the sinlessness of Christ. God's chosen lamb. If Christ was to be our substitute, then he had to be perfect. Without sin and without blemish. If he was to die for our sins, then he himself could not be guilty of those sins. If he was going to purchase salvation, that would protect us from eternal condemnation. He had to be perfect. And the sinless nature of and character of Christ is something that is spoken of in many places. Just let me give you a couple, a few examples. Hebrews chapter 7, for example, verse 26. Paul writes, For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens. You come to the church at Corinth. He writes the same, 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He did no sin. He could not sin. There was no guile found in his mouth, Peter could write. And if we go back to Calvary itself, again three times over there, even Pilate was to declare the innocence and the sinlessness of Christ. John 18, 38. Pilate said unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and said unto them, I find in him no fault at all. Run your eye down in chapter 19, verse 4. Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Verse 6. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. No fault in Christ. The sinless nature of Christ is testified even at the cross. For the dying thief, he was to say to his companion in crime, Certainly, or this man has done nothing amiss. The centurion over the soldiers, when he came to the bodies on the cross, he said of Christ, certainly this was a righteous man. The sinlessness of Christ. Men and women, it's something that we bring out and we see even in our hymnology. Hymn number 134 in our book, 
You listen to the words, verse 4, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, for God is just, is satisfied to look at him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen Lamb, my perfect, spotless righteousness, the great, unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. Aren't you glad that we preach a sinless Savior today? There was no other good enough. The boys and girls sing it to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. There was no other good enough because there was no other sinless. Christ alone was sinless. And there's a sinless nature of the Lamb that we see here. You'll notice also the sonship that is mentioned here. Well, you ever noticed this or not? Verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a meal of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. It was to be a meal. God had specified a meal to be taken. And in a day of confusion, and a day where many liberals seek to change plain language, it's good to remember that there's no confusion with our God. In the garden, Male and female created he them. There's no other. Young people, you remember that when you go to your school and your classrooms. There's no other DNA. It's either male or female. But there's a whole confusion or trying to be a confusion today. And this Passover lamb taken, it had to be a male. For it is a foreshadowing of the one whom God chose for the deliverance of his own people. And that was the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't the daughter. It wasn't the mother of God. It was the Son of God. It was the Son of God. And when he was born, we read of Mary that she wrapped him in swaddling bands. She laid him in the manger. If the lamb is not a meal that cannot save, For God appointed a male lamb to protect from the judgment that was coming. And God hath appointed his only begotten son to be the one to save sinners. We do not change scripture. Or indeed change hymns just to suit the perverted society. I don't read from a perversion of the scriptures with unisex language just to suit the whims of a depraved society today. We simply tell it as God has commanded. And that is the sonship of Christ as the only Savior for a lost mankind. And in those words, it should be noted, it was a male lamb of the first year. In other words, it was in its prime. It had its strength. It wasn't merely uh, one that was ready to die. And so again, the type is accurate for Christ was to be offered in the strength of his years. He's strong. He's a mighty Savior who is able to deliver. But you know, there's another important particular here. It's seen that it had to be sacrificed. Verse 6, And ye shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month of the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. The lamb had to be killed. Death must be inflicted either upon the guilty transgressor or upon the innocent substitute. There would be death in every household. In the home of the Israelite, it would be the death of the lamb. 
not of the firstborn as it would be in the house of the Egyptian. There had to be death because there's the consequences of sin. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Sin demands the ultimate judgment, the death of the sinner. But God provided a way for the sinner to be spared. A substitute could die in their place, taking on them the judgment of a holy God. But the lamb had to be killed. It wasn't put to sleep. It didn't die of natural causes or some mild process. The word killed is used. It's used both in verse 6. It is also used, you will find, in verse 21. And Moses called for all the elders of Israel, said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families, and kill the Passover. Interesting to note those who killed the lamb. Verse 6 tells us the whole assembly. Now that's a general statement. In other words, the head of every household and every tribe represented the entire family so that the scriptures can tell us that the whole assembly killed the lamb. The whole assembly was involved. How accurate it is when we think of God's sacrificial lamb. He too was to be slain. He too was to be crucified as a lamb in its strength. He's brought us a lamb to the slaughter. He's dying for our sins. That meant we participated in his death, not just the Jews as a nation who took him physically by the hands of cruel and wicked men, but we stand there a part of that because of our sins that was laid in Christ. And when John viewed the Christ in that heavenly scene, he was as a lamb that had been slain. We read in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain. And the praises that follow bear testimony to that. Because we read in verse 9, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain. And hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. They sung a new song. And John sees the risen Christ standing because he has conquered death. He's conquered the last great enemy. The particulars of the Lamb. I want you to notice just in closing the protection from the Lamb. This divinely appointed command from God was so that Israel would be protected from the last plague, which was the visit of the death angel. But we can't leave this until we consider how the household, and in particular how the firstborn, would be protected. It was be by the means of the blood. The lamb had to be sacrificed. It was to be upon the 14th day of the month. That day was incorporated within the feast of the Passover. Leviticus 23, in the words of verse 5, I read this. In the 14th day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. And Christ is our Passover. And it holds to be accurate when we consider that Calvary and the death of the Savior took place in the evening. 
And at the very time when the Paschal lambs were brought and they were sacrificed in the temple in Jerusalem, it was the Passover. But with the slain of the lamb, there was also the shedding of his blood. You come with me to verse 13. As I said at the very beginning, I'm not going to be able to deal with the intervening verses. We have to, to look at that. You look at verse 13, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. The blood meant that the destroyer would not enter into the houses. If God did not see the blood, then the judgment of God would fall on that home. The blood was the important matter. It was the blood that was absolutely essential in protecting the home and protecting in particular the firstborn. And how important is the blood in the matter of one's soul's salvation? We make no apology for our blood theology. Because Hebrews 9 verse 22 reminds us that without the shedding of blood there's no remission. But understand that it is not until the sinner applies the blood by faith that it avails for them. The Israelite could have selected the right lamb. They could have separated that proper lamb until the 14th day. They may have it killed. But unless its blood was collected, unless it was applied by the hyssop branch on the doorposts and on the lintels of that home, the death angel would still have entered into that house and taken the firstborn. And so I want you to grasp and I want you to understand what I'm about to say. It's not enough that the Savior was provided and that the Savior died and that his blood was shed for the remission of sins. I have heard apostate ministers pray that. I've heard them say, Oh Lord, we thank thee that Jesus died and that's enough and that's all that we need. It's not enough that Jesus died and offered that sacrifice for sin unless and until by faith the blood is applied to the heart. A Savior provided must personally be received. It's not enough that you sit under the preaching of the gospel week by week and know that Christ was taken, separated, and know that Christ was offered on that cross as a substitute. Unless and until by faith you apply, you appropriate the work of Calvary to your own self. We read in Romans chapter 3 and verse 25. And it speaks about the blood. Romans 3 and 25 says this. Well, let me read verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that it is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation to turn away his wrath through faith in his blood. I must by faith 
take the blood. I must by faith shelter beneath that blood. I must place it between my sins and a thrice holy God. I must rely upon it as the sole ground of my acceptance with him. The blood in the home. It meant that death had already done its work. The innocent had died in the stead of the guilty. Justice was satisfied. To exact payment for the same crime twice is both unjust and unlawful. Protection, you see, lies in sheltering under the blood. You just picture that home. And the children and the firstborn in particular would see the lamb that was slain and the blood collected and the father going and applying that blood to the door. They were sheltering under that blood when the midnight hour came. You know, the protection also lies in the sure word of God. I want you to notice two different things here in verse 13. The blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. The foundation of their security lay in the death of the Lamb. It lay in its blood being shed. But that which offered peace to their heart was the promise from him who cannot lie. Our feelings, and there's a lot of worship these days that's orientated around feelings. Our feelings are not the basis of our assurance. You can be top of the world one day and you can be down in the valley the next. Our feelings are fickle. And the feelings are not the basis of our assurance, men and women, for salvation. Consider two homes that night. I want to bring you there, just in closing. The head of one is an unbelieving father. He refuses to heed the warning. His firstborn comes to his son and he's very uneasy because the boy has heard about the visit of the death angel at midnight. And the father comes and he stills the fears of his son. He tells him a lie. He tells him he's killed a lamb. He tells him that he's applied its blood. And hearing that, that boy is at rest. He's filled with a peace, but it's a false peace. And I come into another home. And it's exactly the reverse. The head of this home is a God-fearing father who has acted in accordance to what God has decreed. The lamb has been slain. The blood has been collected. That blood has been applied to the doorposts. But that evening, his eldest boy, he too is very uneasy. He doesn't feel good. He doesn't feel safe. And he says, Dad, the death angel is coming at midnight and I'm your firstborn. And the father assures him that he need not be troubled. For he reminds him what God has said. And you see, God has said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's from one who cannot lie. His fears are groundless. In the first instance, the oldest son had a peace. 
but it was founded on the word of a man. It was founded on his father. He was happy, but he perished. In the second home, the second son, he was miserable and he was fearful because he failed to rest on the sure word of God. Security is by the blood applied. Assurance and peace is to be found by resting on the word of God. The ground of both is outside ourselves. Feelings has nothing to do with it. Are you resting by faith upon the finished work of Christ? Are you personally trusting in his shed blood? That lamb chosen, that lamb that was sacrificed in Calvary in your place and in your stead as the sinner's substitute. You see, it's exactly as it is in Exodus 12. I want every boy and girl, every mother and father to ask themselves, are you resting by faith in Christ alone on the shed blood of the Lamb? If so, then rest your assurance and peace on what God has said. And what has God said? Well, for example, in closing, he has said John 5 and 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. He died for me. The Lord be pleased to bless his word our hearts this morning.